The Entrepreneur Adventure, giving entrepreneurs the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before. I wouldn't be your friend if I didn't tell you this. Today's episode starts off pretty intense and it's going to eliminate any excuse you have to not succeed and to not win, especially and specifically for others. This is the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Melton, the side gig prophet, joined today by my co-host or host, whatever we want to call him, Chad Brown, the serial CFO, and we sit down with Brandy Anderson. She's the founder and really the visionary executive director, probably a million other titles, for Acceptance Recovery Center in Athens, Georgia. Brandy shares her story, her business acumen, her vision, her passion. I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to be able to turn this thing off. It is absolutely phenomenal. I was personally left speechless at the end, and you know from hearing me gab right now, that's a very rare occurrence. So here's the episode with Brandy Anderson. It's going to change you. We are here today for another awesome episode of the Entrepreneur Adventure. I'm excited. We've got Brandy Anderson with us from Acceptance Recovery Center. Did I say that right, yep, Brandy? That's We're good it. there. We're excited to have you. So much to learn here from your story. And Josh and I are early to this journey. Uh, we don't know each other very well. Uh, we haven't spent a whole lot of time learning your story. So we're excited to dive in and learn more and just want to start. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in this field and your journey that's brought you down this path. Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, I'll tell you when I was pulling into the parking lot today, I sat there and I was like, all right, looked around at the signs. I drive down the street all the time and I just thought like, why would they ask me to come in and speak? Like, why am I here? Like, what is the purpose for me to be here today? And a lot of times when I put on a business scope, I'll feel like, you know, Brandy, you're a fraud. They're going to know. Like, they know that this isn't, this isn't you. This isn't, you know, um, how you grew up, how you were raised. And what I've realized with time is that I have an opportunity to get up and put this, this suit on, this coat, this jacket, pull in the parking lot, look at the sign, and know that I've earned my seat here to be able to talk with you all today and whoever the future viewers are. And so to tell you a little bit about my history is um, it goes back from before I was born. My birth mother was 14 or 15 years old when she got pregnant with me. She lived in a girl's home and she was addicted to drugs. And so if you think of any 14 year olds, you know, and think about wow, how 14. Think about what sort of mindset a person could be in to raise a child that is addicted to drugs and is essentially homeless, is displaced without family in a Baptist girl's home. And the it was a statutory rape. My birth father was of age. She lied about her age. And um you know, she wanted to have a abortion with me. And one of the other girls in the home actually told on her and, and stopped her from having an abortion. So I technically shouldn't even be here today if my birth mother would have had her way all the way back then. Now, there's a lot of times throughout my life I wish that she would have had her way. Um, you know, throughout my life, I've been in and out of foster homes, group homes, um, different sort of institutional settings, um, 
DHS, which is DFACS here, was very different back then than it is now. Um, she would go through and for some reason she'd be able to get me back from the state, but she was still using, um, pretty much homeless, living out of cars, um, lots of abuse, physical, emotional, sexual. Um, it, was, it was a nightmare. And I was told very early on that I would never amount to anything. You will never be anything. Um, when she would come down off of drugs, she would take it out on me because she didn't want me. You know, I was a burden to her. I was a responsibility that she was not any way, shape or form prepared to take on. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was, um, I was a liability to her. And so whenever she eventually found my birth father, she saw it as an escape, as a way out. Um, that's where even more abuse filled in. I ended up becoming, getting back into the state's custody and involved in the criminal justice system. I started using substances as a main coping skill, as an escape, as a way out from the horrible nightmare that I lived in. As drugs was a way to not have to feel or be in touch with reality. And it was genetic, generational and it was to cover up what was really going on. And I'll just say by the time I was 16, I had um, been in and out of different institutions to where eventually it led me into a, a detention center and then into a boot camp, and then I aged out of the, the system at 18. Not once did anybody stop and say, hey, what happened to you? What's going on? Why are you behaving this way? Society back then saw it as you need to quit acting this way. So we're going to put you here. We're going to do this to you. We're going to, you know, like stop doing that and never s s stopping and saying like, what's, what's wrong? How can I help you? Then fast forward, by the time I was 20 years old, I got sentenced to 20 years in prison. And I thought for sure my life was over. Um, but if there was any sort of potential hope, it was at this time that I really needed to kind of figure out, like, what do I need to change in order to, to have a successful life if I ever get out of prison? Um, I went back in front of the judge. I got my sentence cut from 20 to 10, and then it was finally then I saw some hope. Uh, I was eighth grade dropout, so I was able to get my GED and able to start going to college. I found out that I could actually make good grades <laughs> when I actually applied myself. And um, in 2004, no, 2000, 2005 is when I went to prison. 2008, 2009 is whenever I found my biological mother um, after being estranged from her for many years. It was over 10 years. And she lived in Georgia. I lived in Oklahoma. And I thought, this was finally my chance at having an opportunity, at having a family. And um, so it was really then whenever I really started to try, to try to set goals and figure out like what, what I would have to do in order to be a productive member of society. And I got out of prison in 2009 and I would like to say everything went really great with me and my mother, <clears throat> excuse me, 
but that was not that was not the case. She ended up back on drugs, homeless, in a domestic violence shelter. I found my way into recovery. I found my first job. Uh, I got back into college. I was able to take care of one of my sisters whenever she got taken from my birth mother. And then um, I realized that I wanted to help people, but I didn't know how. And thankfully, through my network in recovery, as well as uh, the university I was going to school at, I was able to find a way into the helping profession. And I started, I started working with the homeless population in a residential care facility, as, and I wanted to be an addiction counselor. And I am now, happily, I can say that I'm a certified addiction counselor nationally level two, state level one. I'm also a medically assisted treatment specialist. Um, I graduated my undergraduate as a magna cum laude. I did not know what that meant when it was time. <laughs> they was like, have everybody stand up. And I was like having to ask the person next to me like, hey, what, what does that mean? <laughs> well, what it means is I worked my tail off to earn that degree because things didn't come easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to open a women and children's program. So in my undergraduate program, I was able to write a grant and a business plan, and none of my teachers told me I was crazy. <laughs> they actually led me to believe that I could actually do that, like I could actually start a program. Um, and so that was the original vision, was to hopefully help women like my mother was, you know, back whenever she was a child, provide some sort of care and, and a loving home for people that needed support, they needed care. Um, Whenever I set out to open Acceptance Recovery Center, I had that little business plan that I look back at it now and think I was like, why didn't why, why did people not tell me that this wasn't like that that you needed to have more research or more money but I had a vision, I had a drive, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that I had a story. And I changed my life around and that, I ha- that other people did de- needed to hear hope. I, I got out and just by chance, I was able to find resources. When, I, when people get out of prison, when they, when they are in need of, of, of a loving home and they're displaced and homeless, when they are needing to get off of drugs, there's not a lot of hands reaching out to help people these days. And just by chance, um, just by you know, asking the right people the right questions and finding a community of people that accepted me, I was able to, f- to find my way. And there's so many other people that, that don't have that opportunity, that they don't know how to, where to go when they get out of prison. They don't know how to find a recovery community. They don't know how to get a license or get their driver's li- uh, to get a bank account. And so that's what what drove me to starting Acceptance Recovery Center. Uh, I worked with the accountability courts and I saw a gap in services. There was people coming into the court system saying, hey, I need help, but they would say, you're too high risk, you're too high need, you won't be successful in our program, and they would send them to prison. And I Mm. sat there in these court hearings and I thought just like, well, what about them? What about if they had just somebody to, to just Give them, give them a little bit of support so they could drop that risk or need level and like they could be successful too. Like I saw me and them. 
I saw when I got sentenced to that 20 years in prison and I was like, there's no hope for me. I saw that in their eyes and I knew that there was hope. And so that's, that's what led me to, to starting Acceptance Recovery Center. What an amazing, inspiring way to start a podcast. <laughs> oh my word. Like I, this is like next level here. And the inspiration from your story is, there's so many directions we can go and things we can talk about. This is going to be such an awesome episode. I'm, I'm pumped. Question for you there. So many people get hung up in what's going on in their life. They're busy. They have families. They're fighting problems and things uh, internally and at home. They're dealing with some sort of recovery, especially now with everybody being busy and getting wrapped up in just the world that we live in. You were in a place with no safety net at so many different points of your journey. No money, no support, no resources. Somehow you you managed to claw and fight and, and get yourself in a place where you can start your journey. But then you're still trying to survive and you completely turned and how do I help other people? How What made you change from, hey, how do I work on Brandy and fix Brandy to... I want to go help a lot of people and I see a need here for other people and I, I want to take more risk and more chance and have less safety nets and I want to start a recovery center. What what prompted that in your journey when there was just so much there just to survive and make it through on, on your side to, to switch gears to help other people? Well, I've never been asked that question before. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I've taken some leadership um, personality quizzes and I, I'm a servant leader that's my mm-hmm. my style and I just feel that to give and serve other people is a way of life for me I've I've taken so much from society honestly I mean to get sentenced to 20 years in prison I was selling drugs so I've always had a little bit of entrepreneurial skills so but you know and I then it was a way to survive and I've taken from society, and so now it's time for me to give back, and service is just a way of, of life for me, and you know, the fact that I was a- able to get on my feet, not become a statistic, not reoffend, not go back into the criminal justice system, there's so many other people that don't know that they can also have that or don't have the support or the resources that they need, and so to me, I, I just feel like it's a way of life, and to, to start a recovery center, just being honest, you know, are able to do things my way, yeah. <laughs> you know, within reason. So I get to make my own schedule and um, I get to, you know, have a for-profit or non-profit. I definitely wanted a non-profit. I worked in a, a non-profit before that was ran like a for-profit and I really like the community engagement aspect. I feel that being able to engage the community spreads awareness, it ends stigma. And so that's one reason why I really wanted to have a recovery center that um, is a nonprofit is so that we'll have access to engaging different populations that otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't be engaged, you know, whether it be the high risk, high need um, individual that's in need of our care, or it could be the, the owner of the, the business in front of us that sees how we turned a property around, or it could be, um, somebody being able to donate a car 
and it to being able to impact into our residents' life and not having the opportunity to tell that resident's story. So that's, I guess, what I look back at, like, why service? Well, why not? <laughs> that's so crazy and such an awesome mindset. Because I mean, I'm, I'm guilty. So many of us were handed so much more from society and have been given so much, but get caught up in their own world of busy and don't give back. And for you, you fought and scrapped and really got dealt a rough hand that you battled through and you're like why not why would I not give back I've been given so much and that's Mm -hmm. such an awesome story and mindset to hear and uh, really cool Uh, it's just amazing what you've overcome and how you've been able to turn it to help other people was there one specific enlightening moment you went through was it a maybe a season of life where you just transitioned because Again, you go from, hey, you're going to prison for selling drugs to at some point switching gears. But you know what? I'm going to live my life to serve and help others. What, how, how did you get there? How did you go from prison sentence to I'm going to dedicate my life to serving people that experience things that, like I experienced? Was, again, was it a moment? Was it like a gradual thing? Or how, how do you go? I just don't think that people are like this young lady. It's going to get out of prison and go start a recovery center. That's what's <laughs> destined for her. Maybe I'm wrong. But. No, I, I think that it, I, I don't, these are all, again, very good questions, things that haven't been asked before. And I don't know that it was like an aha moment. I, I think it was a series of, I think, of realizing that there's a greater purpose in life than to, to just take or to be given to. Um, I went, my minor was in business management, so I switched it to human services. And so I, would had that foundation, um, of my education that, um, you know, of starting out, you know, doing a business. Cause I just think of like, well, what can somebody with 11 felonies, <laughs> what can they really do with their life? I thought I was going to work at a, a clothing department store or, um, in a bar of all places because I just didn't have any skills. I didn't. And so I think that that's where it started. But then um, I will never forget in my, my first social work class, having an opportunity to tell my story outside of the recovery community. This is in an academic setting. And the response that I got from the other students and just feeling accepted for my lived experience instead of shunned, I, I think back that that was a pivotal moment for me to be able to speak out. And then just, I just really, I got into this work because I just wanted to help somebody. And um, it was really nice whenever I, I got to help somebody and make my own schedule. <laughs> 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 and then um, just being able to have an opportunity to um, get trained and deliver services. Acceptance Recovery Center, it's a very progressive model of recovery. It's, it, we, we promote multiple pathways to recovery. Um, we also have high structure, high accountability, also high care and high support in a long-term setting. So there's not any other programs out there like it. I think of back what I would need in order to feel safe and secure being homeless and being asked to change everything about my life um, and just what what that person might need. And so 
Um, I think maybe there's always been a little level of entrepreneur in me somewhere, just not really knowing how to funnel that into doing good with it. But um, I think, you know, there's been, it's, it's been a series of aha m- moments to, to lead me into wanting to start a recovery center. And were you building it with other brandies in mind? Were you building it with, or the, at least a desire to come and do this? Was it with your mother in mind? Was it with, you mentioned you had a sister, like, or was it just all of you? Like, who, who did you build this for? Or maybe who was the inspiration behind, like, I'm going to help, the, I'm, this is the type of person I'm going to serve. And if there was a, you know, in regular business world, we would say, like, oh, do you have a customer avatar, an ideal client? Like, who was the inspiration for you with, I'm going to create this for that person? Well, my birth father's a functioning alcoholic to this day. My little sister is homeless and on drugs somewhere in Texas. Um, my birth mother just went to prison. Um, I, I started this with Brandy in mind, but it's the whole family aspect. Acceptance Recovery Center has a, a high focus on family restoration. And so it, it's about all that goes into the Brandy that got sentenced to 20 years in prison and what led up to that moment and then what happened after that moment. And so it, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of of all of it's the whole family that gets affected by addiction and did your birth father and birth mother have a similar type story as far as in growing up or was it a wayward decision somewhere along the way that led them down the path so my birth father he's he's adopted um my birth mother she aged out of a out of a girl's home um and so they both have their stories of of it's it's generational trauma Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what leads into generational addiction in, in a lot of ca- cases. Such a cycle. It, mm-hmm. it really is a, a system of a cycle that it's almost impossible to get out of in our society, which is crazy. Back to building acceptance recovery. I was reading on your website and a little bit about uh, your story that, that you have there in your bio. It sounds like you were involved in nine or ten different places mm-hmm. before you decided to pursue building your own mm-hmm back to that entrepreneur that hustle side was it just hey i can do this better or what there was, you were plugged in plenty of places to make a difference where is how do you get to the point where these people this is awesome but i can do it better these losers need to step out of yeah, my way and i'm willing to risk this. everything i know and don't know to do it and, and yeah, tell us. I already about know the answer to this decision. one, Chad. I already know the, the answer to this. Oh, yeah, she so. said she gets to set her own schedule, man. <laughs> That's I just kept telling her to show up at oh, nine. So. And, and, and by the way, yeah. you mentioned earlier, you would with no skills and not knowing what I was doing. I think for our audience listening, <laughs> once you get into starting a business or a nonprofit or doing anything, you realize pretty quick. I have no skills. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> so anybody listening that is hesitating from starting something to make a difference or starting something to change their life, skills and know what you're doing doesn't exist. Yeah, that, without I this mean, level you, of ignorance, you, nothing would ever get started. You figure it out as you go. Yeah. But yeah, yeah but, sure. but back to, okay, I've experienced these places. I, I've, I've worked here. I've volunteered here. I've been involved in nine or ten different places. These places are awesome, but here's what I'm going to do. And here's the reason what that's a yeah, huge leap. It is. And it is. And so, yeah, I've worked at a lot of different recovery centers. Sometimes I was the most educated person and I was in college and I was uncertified. 
at some of the places that I was working. Mm. And um, then there would be other places that I was working that I was the least educated person in the room. And I would just soak up everything that I could learn from them. And so I took my experience at working at all of those other places and I kind of combined it together. And um, I really love the structure of the accountability courts. And so taking that structure and a level of accountability and offering it in a residential setting. So in a way, yes, I thought that I could do it better. (laughs) (laughs) So just to be very... Love it. I love it. That's the entrepreneur spirit. I can do this better. I don't know that that's why I was like, I can do this better than you. I just like, well, what if we could take these things, like all of these things that are going really well or that's not going well and kind of combine them in a different way to kind of create something different to serve a different population. So it is definitely a sum of all my lived experience that went into creating the center. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, it, it made me giggle when you asked that. I was like, well, I get yeah, I guess so, because that's the reason why I quit all of those jobs and to, to, to start my own business. All right, here's she what, said, if you're not first, you're last, man. We're moving on past these guys. All right, here's, what, here's the question I love asking entrepreneurs and founders and people that have built things. So you have the desire and the motivation, and you see an angle to go build something different. One year in... In your mind, what you saw that journey looking like and what it actually existed, how much harder and how much different was it in reality? Wow. So I set out to open a small women's program, ended up opening. Now you've got like 60 men and 20 women and service all. Yeah. So it was supposed (laughs) to be 12 to 18 women. You totally screwed this up, Brandon. Yeah. Messed this whole thing up. Yeah. I was going to do the intakes and the books and the community engagement. I was going to do it all. I had a whopping staff of four. And um, I will tell you, it made my head spin. I was not prepared for what the community needed. So the research I did, um, switching from serving women to serving men was a huge switch. I didn't realize what need there was for men for residential care that are high risk, high need, displaced, court referred. So it's a very specific population okay. that we serve. And, um, and court referred means you go to prison or you go here. Pretty much. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. That's pretty much what it means. And so we're seen as an alternative to jail. Okay. Uh, and, and so it's not always you either go here or go to prison. We do have some individuals that are that have no legal requirements to be with us. A lot of times they'll have um, pending cases. But um, it, going back to that first year, we went from serving 14 to 40. <laughs> <laughs> in one year and what I had I'd looked in six different counties um, to start this program and ended up coming back to Athens where I had been living for some years and um, I just you know working in the Athens community and the just people reaching out and being willing to answer questions I got a lot of support there was a lot of community engagement we raised thirty thousand dollars in donations that That's first amazing. year it was like mind-blowing like I couldn't believe it at the end of the year I was like thirty thousand dollars and people and money of like I would didn't give you like a bottle of water in exchange for like (laughs) that blew my mind and then also we ended up in the black in the fourth month oh wow 
So because you're a huge for-profit entity, right? Right. Well, that was <laughs> when when our accountant was like, "You're in the black." I was like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're not losing money anymore. <laughs> That well, is yeah, because amazing. I'm making a salary of two hundred dollars a week. But <laughs> how, how many hours did you put in per week for that two hundred dollars in the uh, beginning? I, I was can't in, even imagine. She can't I answer would, that because there's minimum wage laws that should be. Violating. Yeah, well, from the time that our residents woke up till the time that we took the yeah. lights out, I was there. I hung the curtains. I put the bat the bathroom rugs down on the. I did the intakes. I did Wore calling all the, the family. Hats, I did everything. I did every single thing. It was from the time that they woke up to do morning meditation at 8 a.m. till the time they went to sleep at 11 p.m. I was there day and night. Any regrets? No, absolutely yeah. not. That's that, awesome for mm-mm. young entrepreneurs to know, hey, you can be in the black in month four of your journey mm-hmm. if you're willing to get in there, put in all the hours, all the work, wear all the hats, sacrifice everything. That's what it takes like mm-hmm. to get to that level of success that you're at now. I can't imagine the work and the effort and just the time. It's it's really cool, and I think that's a huge message for our audience to understand. And it is possible to do something from scratch and to to do something where you're not losing money four months in. And especially, I I have so much respect for executive directors and founders and builders of nonprofits. I don't know how y'all do it. I've been in business a long time. I struggle every day and I pay people and I trade a product for money. Y'all go out there and crush it with volunteers and donations. And I have a hard enough time running a business, paying people and transacting products for money. And it's, it's hard. So to do it on a level with volunteers and donations and, uh, a part of the community that's really hard to know how to handle a lot of times. It, it's it's amazing. So I had a mentor of mine that used to say, Josh, just go out and set yourself on fire. Like just get excited and engaged. Because some so people this is where this comes from. Some, it's all yeah. starting to make sense now. So he's like, oh, okay, now I know our business partners. But yeah, some Josh people will come come make a big mess. I'm like, hey man, I've done all this. Figure out how to clean this up. It's kind of our That's why I partnered here. up with an accountant, Randy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> then I get out my checklist. I start yeah. a little spreadsheet. I start going through it. I'm like, it. you can audit this later. We'll be good. Don't worry about it. But no, he would say, like, set yourself on fire because some people will just come to watch you burn. Like, they just, I've never seen someone that's this in, like, all in. Like, as you mentioned, you were all in. I'm sure you had a phenomenal vacation package right when you got started, right? <laughs> no. 401k was killing it. But no, you, but you were clear on what you wanted to accomplish. And as you were going and growing, it sounds like some of the methodologies changed. It's like, oh, I actually set out to do this, but I'm being effective right here. So we're going to keep rolling with it. And again, I'm sure you like, you crushed the numbers you thought you were going to, going to hit as far as the people you were serving in the early days. But ultimately she was clear on what she wanted to do from the standpoint, I'm going to impact that person, burning desire to do it. And you do, people flock to Brandy. And that's what I've seen. I wanted to say this at the beginning. The cool part of what I've seen in your journey from having a close friend who was more connected to it was all the people that were coming on board to be like, okay, we want to help serve. Like, what do we need to do? But it's because Brandy's vision was so strong and it wasn't just an idea you were talking about. Like, no, you know, morning to evening, like wake up to go to sleep. You were all in doing this thing. And so we're not used to seeing somebody that's so clear 
on what they want to be, what they want their life to be about. And you were able to, again, turn things around for yourself, which was phenomenal, but then also pour yourself completely into the service of others. And really lots of people just want to like that girl's on fire. Absolutely. I just, I, I've got to, I got to see it. And how can I participate? And cause we all want that type of clarity for our lives. We all want to have that type of adventure, but most of us just haven't figured it out yet. And you were able to flip the switch at some point and be like, this is what I'm going to do. And it's awesome to watch. It's awesome to see. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me put this in perspective a little bit. So you, you started Acceptance Recovery in 2016, right? Mm-hmm. When did we start our cleaning company together? When did we start our we partnered journey? up like beginning of 2013, I think. Okay. So we've been in the business world together. Josh and I both had cleaning companies prior to that for five, six years. So at this point, we're almost 15 years together in a cleaning company business where we merged. And I assume I can share this because it's in y'all's annual report on the mm-hmm. website, but yeah. y'all are at a million dollar mark of revenue and budget to be able to run this center and do the things you do. We've been striving as a company for 15 years to get to a million dollars in revenue. Like we are, that's our goal for this year. And you got two guys working together in business that's trying to achieve goals that y'all are blowing us away in in less time. That's that yeah. puts it in perspective for me. Like wow, like so that's impressive. Yeah, exactly. So here's the deal, Brandy. We <laughs> said this was a podcast episode, but this is a job interview. How much is it going to take? <laughs> yeah, for guests just to get you on the team. We can get. I know you can get your passion and pour your heart out about making sure places are clean around. Around Athens. So if you were advising someone on how to double their business in a matter of 12 months, no, I'm just joking. That's, that's, Relationships. That's where this comes yeah. from. That's where like Josh and I are like, all right, uh, this is where we get to learn and be consulted yeah. from the best. Well, the funny thing, Chad, so, she said relationships. I think that was like a slap in the face toward our people skills. She's like, well, if you guys are better at making yeah. friends. Well, you don't have an accountant as a business partner. <laughs> so relationships, seriously, that's that's the key to everything you believe in a lot of the the growth behind what you've been able to do is the relationships. I and think it's connection. Yeah, yeah, definitely connecting with people, believing in people. You said earlier that you're into growing people. And so I feel like we're kind of in the same business. You know, I'm I'm also into growing people. It's just mm-hmm. it's a people that are overlooked and underserved that a lot of society is scared of, or they say they don't deserve an opportunity. And I know that they do. And I get to see their lives transformed every single day of my life because of the work that I do and how to get it to a million dollar budget, which is beyond me. It wasn't like, I'm going to set out and in year four, we're going to have a million dollar budget. <laughs> no, that wasn't it. I mean, I it started out to serve... 16 women. You just let whatever happened, happen. And and so I let the community kind of guide it, but it's the connections that I've built with the residents, with their families. It's the connections that we've built within the community. It's being involved with the chamber and getting out and putting ourselves vulnerable. It's being involved with the, the justice system and speaking out about the services that we provide, about my own personal recovery journey. Uh, and it's it's definitely about if I could say one thing it's it's about connections it's about having relationships meaningful um, intentional impactful relationships. I really thought you were going to tell us it was because you made better grades than us in college. No, I will. There's I don't know my multiplication tables, I, I so think it's I not to stand <laughs> up or anything. <laughs> yeah, I was just happy to be there. You're like, yeah, well, you will. You, you can wear a robe. That's fine. You can be a part of this. 
So, so you mentioned connections and the relationships. To build relationships, it takes courage. Sure. And mm-hmm. you're in a place and a background where it seems like it would be harder to have the courage to start those connections and those relationships. But I look, and you're starting starting up a, a recovery acceptance recovery center in 16 you've got a board you've got employees you've got volunteers the the connections are built like a corporation and like a company and how did you get does the passion just override and drive the courage behind how to build a board and how to make those relationships the connections with the people to be able to have a million dollar freaking budget that's no, so I believe a lot in mentorship, uh-huh. and so it's um it's asking questions. I I have a series of mentors that I work with and coaches that are from the for profit mm-hmm. and from the nonprofit, and so I think that that's been instrumental in in having five locations and having twenty employees um, is from learning from both sides of it to run to successfully run a, a nonprofit, we ha- I have to run it like it's a for-profit business. Absolutely. At the end of the year, the money goes back into the organization, if there's any left over. Sure. <laughs> so, and just being very, very mindful of, of um, spending and, you know, when we can increase programs, when we can't increase programs, you know, the pandemic hit us hard. We had to mm. think fast and, you know, because we couldn't, we could not shut our our doors. We had to still pay rent. <laughs> we still had to, you know, pay people to provide services. It's not like we could just stop the production lines. And so, um, I think that that's what's helped us grow. I mean, I've never the intention was never to have five locations. Right now, we have two apartment complexes that have eighteen units in each one, and it's you know, getting into property management and trying to figure out that, (laughs) you know, and so it's just um, asking questions and mentorship, uh, having people that are trustworthy to to guide and um, a lot of training, any of the nonprofit training series that are hosted either here in Athens or in Gainesville or wherever, I would just go and sit and learn and just ask, ask questions, meet people, shake their hands, Say, hey, can I ask you a question? Can I learn from you? Being willing to try things out if it doesn't work, but, but try it again. But you understand that takes like <laughs> massive amounts of like confidence and courage, right? Really? Like, yes. <laughs> to walk into a room in another city and like, hey, can I ask you some questions? Or can I learn from you? That's like awesome. I, th- I feel like so many people can't quite get there when they're starting something or growing something because they feel like, hey, I don't know this person or I'm embarrassed. But to your point, most people that are in a position of success love sharing, love giving back, love talking. So that's a, I think that's a huge piece of advice for our audience is ask, yeah, ask questions, ask for help, like ask for mentorship. That's, that's amazing. Brandy, me and Chad would be so much further as professionals and as business, business partners with our company had he just learned these things earlier. <laughs> If he would have. If I've Chad been dragging have, right? this guy around <laughs> for so long now. I should have booked this step, this episode. I'm a lot better at answering questions than asking questions. You haven't learned that about me? <laughs> so I do have a question for you, though. Number one, I love that her answer's like, really? That's that's hard? Like, I people know, don't do so that? Yeah, I just put on a 
business coat and you know yeah. go do my thing. That's what this I do. My, my superhero jacket. Yeah. You set out with a, a vision or mission or purpose of like this is what I'm gonna do, and you've been engaged and for four or five years now, and like you're, you're finding success. The the need you're you're meeting, you're creating more opportunities to meet the need. Like it's growing. What's driving you? Like, where's the passion in? Because obviously, this is a purpose type thing for you. Some people do, like me and Chad. He mentions we own a cleaning company. I don't think either of us would say making sure that bathrooms are clean and offices is our like life calling. But it seems for you, it may be a little different. You got like some passion and a purpose and a cause. It, has it shifted or changed any from when you started to now? Like, what do you do to like maintain your fire? Sure. So this is again another really great question, and so it's kind of changed, but it's always kind. Of, it's always was the plan. So the property that we we got on Prince, uh, when we finally had it under contract, it's the third time trying to get into that that property. I'll tell you, I'm a I'm an overly risk taker by nature, and I don't take no for an answer a lot. And so I kept knocking on their doors, yes. and then finally, we finally had the property under contract, and. I just couldn't believe it. It's further than we had ever gotten before. I'd always loved that home. It's been sitting there empty, just not doing anything. And I could just see life. I could see a heartbeat every time I drove past it. And simultaneously, while we had that property under contract, me and my best friend were going back and forth to Houston, Texas. We took three trips that during that time. And we brought back my three-day-old niece. Three-day? Three-day-old niece that was born at five pounds and three ounces. Oh, wow. I got emergency guardianship of her at three days. And then I got full custody of her. And so I had realized... Because you know a lot about raising babies at no, this point. No, right? I'm a single... Talk I'm a about sing- a risk taker. <laughs> I, am, I am in graduate school starting a women's program after having a men's program for two years. So you I know... brilliant and nuts all <laughs> at the all same, same time. time. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and so I had realized, you know, people... I would have people calling me. Literally, they're dying. They're like, I need help. We need the women's program. Can you help me? Can you help me? And not having a lot of resources to give women for long-term care. And as as we closed that property on the house and I walked in with her in my arms, at this point, she's three months old. And I realized that it wasn't that the community wasn't ready. It wasn't that there wasn't people that had needs. It was that I was still being prepared my heart, my life, I needed to know what it was like to be loved unconditionally, to be a part of a family. And then now I have officially adopted her and she'll be mm. two in just a couple of weeks. So my, my purpose is family restoration. My purpose is for little reigns in the future that need help is to help their mommies and daddies or their grandparents to get help so that they won't be in a position because what if what if I wouldn't have been able to show up there when she was three days old? What would have happened to her? My little sister is mentally ill, homeless, and on the streets. What, if, what, what would have happened? And so my purpose is Rain, my daughter. My purpose is to help restore families' lives. And how I stay engaged with that is I stay engaged with those that I serve. I show up. Last night, I was at our men's center until about 9.30 talking with the residents, asking them how their day's been, what's going right with you. 
So I have to stay connected to my why and not ever moving away from that. Remembering who we started this organization for, what, why, did, why did this organization get started and not moving away from shifting from that main focus. And yeah, that, so she's my reason. That's really cool. And it's really amazing that you haven't gotten derailed from that with all the growth and property management, all the other things to occupy your time and get you somewhat outside of your why and just managing this massive scale foundation you've built. That's, that's, I love it. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. So again, you've, your original idea was one thing and now it's like exponentially different than what you set out to do on the starting block. Have you just learned all these new skills yourself as to, again, how to manage a property? Or have you been able to attract people to your staff? Is it your board members? Like, how have you been able to accomplish the, thing, the things that you've accomplished when we'd probably say at the beginning, you weren't equipped to do the things that you were about to do in the next just couple of years, but you're, you're crushing it now of being successful at what you set out to do, but you're doing things in that success that you probably didn't plan for. Yeah, and, so it, and keeping in your lane of your why. Yeah, so you're on purpose the whole time. Yeah. Like crushing the purpose in ways you didn't set out to do, but you had to advance in skill set in some way, shape, or form, whether it be yourself or, again, staff or if it's volunteers. Like how were you able to accumulate this knowledge that was needed to act the way that you guys have acted? So um, I I contribute a lot of our – most of our success and growth. I'm the face of the organization, but it's definitely the the team and the board of directors. The board of directors – that I can lean to and trust and help guide decision-making. It's the team that goes in and delivers the services. So finding trustworthy staff members. And so people want to work for our company. And I I was like, when we ask for resumes, we'll get 20. Like how how come so many people wanna come work for us? And it's our values. It's the way that we reflect our core values in the community that people wanna come serve with us and they wanna come serve with us they trust our and believe in our mission. And so my role has changed in the past two years within the organization. I love working with the clients. I'm good at it. I will tell you, I am a good addiction counselor because you said earlier about manipulating people to come and talk to you. Well, addiction counseling is manipulating people into recovery, right? I'm a God, you'd be a great (laughs) podcast host, Brandy. Start your own podcast. You got the skill set. So I'm really good at addiction counseling, but but being a supervisor has it's a little bit different. And so learning how to be into the business of people and learning how to support the team and being intentional with each one of them, that's what really, really sets us aside is it working with the team, trusting them to fill in in the areas that I'm not good at. One area I'm not good at is numbers. I'm horrible. I mentioned earlier, just briefly, I don't know my multiplication tables. That's a struggle for Chad too. He's in the (laughs) profession. That's a vulnerability I'm really super insecure about. However, like I work at it and I also put key players in my life that can kind of build me up in areas that I'm not good at. So it's finding trustworthy people that I can take a vacation and know that they're still going to continue the work, that I can challenge them and they're going to challenge themselves and they're going to allow themselves to be challenged. They're going to reach out to me for support and I'm going to provide support in areas that I know that I can. And if I can't, find somebody that can. If I don't know the answer, find somebody that does know the answer. If they don't know the answer, that one didn't really work out, be willing to try it again. So it's really about the the community supporting us and, and supporting our mission. It's about 
building up our team, providing education, providing it. We offer a really good benefit package right now, making sure that they're taking care of themselves so that they can take care of other people. And um, our board of directors is amazing, is getting some for-profit people that have that, that expertise on the board so that they can look at things in a little bit of a different way than just serve, 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 serve. Well, sure, you got to serve, but how are you going to pay for your property to serve out of? Sure. And what, what is going to be the next step? What's your five-year strategic plan? And so thinking of things like that, that they don't teach you <laughs> and whenever you're going to school for human services. So two questions, and this is where I, Josh tries to keep us all on topic and I take us all sorts of different directions. Uh, you had mentioned you're really awesome at counseling and serving uh, those in need in your organization. But because of growth, you've had to switch gears a little bit recently. Mm-hmm. Are you now trying to spend more of your time training other counselors and teaching them how to be really good at that? Or are you still trying to plug in in both places? I know that's, for me as a business owner, I struggle so much of doing the work, but I can't grow doing the work. I've got to train other people to do the work to be able to scale. What's, what's your experience there? and What are you doing to be able to, to navigate that? Yeah, I think that's the biggest... Um opportunity for growth in the past well past couple years is switching gears because I'm a workhorse Mm -hmm. I want to do the work I'm here to get my hands dirty I'm going to be out there pushing the shovel I'm going to be tilling the garden I'm emptying the trash I'm going to be doing the books like that's 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 where I really feel is like moving and doing the work but my coaches have been pushing me is like, no, you need to be making decisions. And so now my focus has been working with the workers that train the people. So there has been a, a, a layer, and this is working with our HR committee and other mentors, is there's a layer of um, separation, not only between me and the clients, but also between me and our our newest team members the ones that are being trained uh, yeah so i train the trainers yeah. and so being able to have trainers that i can trust to do the work i train them to our culture they they obviously got the job because they know the core values or they wouldn't have been hired and then they model those core values and if they model our core values i can teach them anything and then so then they will go and teach the other service providers that then serve our community. And so it's, it's been very, very challenging pulling back um, and then also pulling back, but then kn- knowing enough about what each person is doing to where if something happens, I can pick up the work. Sure. So that's happened recently where you know we unexpectedly, a team member um, is no longer working with us. And so being able to pick up that work and get another person trained to to come in and fill in. And so having enough hands-on experience that I don't lose track of what the day-to-day tasks are, but trusting the team to be able to perform them and having people to hold me accountable also is very, very important <laughs> because I'll be up at 4 a.m. and <laughs> they're, you know, doing reports or helping with the books or whatever that may be like. And, and so that's the, the accountability factor has definitely been very, very important as well. Sure. Because I assume there's some guilt with pulling away from the hands-on day-to-day. Absolutely. But then there's the big picture of where you want to go and the places you want to take it. So 
absolutely. I, it's very, very challenging because I, being a servant leader, I want to be right beside yeah. our newest team members. I want to be the one help teaching them and I want to show them how to do it. Then what will happen is I will make this intention of, I'm going to go spend Thursdays at the center. I'm not going to have any appointments. I'm just going to spend time with the residents and the new team members because they, they, the new team members, they get attracted to our core values. They want to work with me sometimes. And so, and then something will get in the way and I won't be able to fulfill my commitment to them. And so just being able to have the wisdom to, to know what I can do and what I can't do and trusting the team to do the work is is really been instrumental in, in helping pull back and um, less of a workhorse and more of a focus in, in decision making. That's really cool. So second question I want to ask you is around a lot of our audience and people that are new to your organization, volunteers, donors, people that plug in, what would you, what advice would you give on a how does somebody plug in with you and what what is their expectation or what have you seen come out of like people that plug in from a volunteer standpoint or from a donor standpoint uh how has things interacted from that side if it's been a win for everybody yeah so we have volunteers come to us in different fashions it just depends on what their level of expertise is what they enjoy and so I, I we go through an interview process for volunteers just like we do new team members and oh wow so you just don't you just can't hey I want to volunteer Mm-mm. that's how they did it in other places Chad <laughs> this is and amazing she bounced several years back. I want to come work for you for free well hold on <laughs> I need you to fill this out and we need to interview you and you need to be approved to come work for She's me like, oh for that's free. great Chad one of the core this values is like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. see you later well we definitely have like we do a lot of beautification projects because we we have a lot of properties and so we're doing yeah. gardens we're planting flowers we're laying mulch so those those are a less uh it's easier to get in on those days and I'll promote those on the website or on social media. You can still, you can still come and volunteer, <laughs> even though you don't want to go through the orientation process or learn our core values. <laughs> so there's the different ways like that, but for our, our, we definitely have an orientation process and we have a recruitment process That's awesome. and we, cause we want to be able to trust the people that are coming to serve their time with our residents, but also we want to make sure we match our volunteers with ways that they feel that they're going to be able to contribute. We want them to feel good about their service. And so volunteers is equity into our organization. It is, they're, they're giving their time and that's very valuable to us. So we want to make sure that we pair that and that it's going to be supportive with our mission as well as what the person, how they want to spend their time. Other ways that people can get plugged in is through donations. We take in-kind donations, uh, monetary donations. Right now we're, we're renovating some units. So you think of um, anything that you would need for house, kitchen tables, couches, bathroom rugs, dishes, pillows, blankets. The holidays are coming up. Doing a pillow or a blanket drive is amazing. We're working with people that are homeless. And so giving them a new pillow is a big deal. And um, other ways is through financial means. So our website is acceptancerecoverycenter.org. And right there on, on the home screen, there's a donate monthly 
$5 a month, $10 a month. Yes, automate. 5, 000, I love it. $5,000 a month, whatever sort of means that, that you feel that maybe you can't come out and get your hands dirty and lay some mulch. Maybe you don't really want to put forth the effort to do a pillow drive, but maybe you want to give $5,000 to be able to go and buy all of our residents a hygiene bag. And now, do, I gotta, do I have to pass something to give money? Or, or exactly. can I just do it? Before you, you click here, like, oh, bank You click the link on our home screen. <laughs> it makes it pretty easy to do that, right? <laughs> pretty you can easually buy your way out of the core values part of the test. <laughs> yes. And you can, in a little bit, can have a big impact. A, a, little way, a little bit can go a long way. So it may be seemingly easy for somebody to give $100 but that $100 is going to go a long ways whenever we're able to provide five hours of counseling for somebody for $100. That can change that person's life. Oh, wow. That's a really great way to relate the money with what is being served out of that. That's really cool. So it's awesome how you're talking about, and any business owner would know this, like they need these things. And I think most businesses struggle with it. Mission, vision, core values. You have people orientation training oh yeah like, i mean there's these systems that you're having people like yeah. hey this is the this is the system that coming on board with us but you're attracting people because again you got a fired up vision that you're not stuck on so to speak like you're you're progressing toward it you're getting better you are serving a need with the people that with your ideal client and people are again attracted to like oh my, i need to spend some time with with brandy anderson like i want to be on her team they're they're coming to work with you because they're, they're attracted to the culture that you've created. It's such a significant thing for entrepreneurs is lots of times we're focused on like the end product, but ultimately the end product is the product of those things, mission, vision, like your values, the team that you bring to the table that can produce the product. And it's easy to, again, bypass that. We said on a, a couple episodes ago, man, I really just came for the number seven. I didn't want to go to the one through six to get there, <laughs> but it's those types of things which lead you to success. So it's such a fun thing to hear you talking about that. And it, that that's beneficial for anybody, regardless if they're you know for profit, nonprofit, whatever. You need to have all those things that are the foundational principles like in place, so people know what they should or should not be attracted to. And there's other people who may not be attracted to your core values. It's not their thing. Same thing for us. But you're bringing in the people that want to serve the people you want to serve, and they want to serve them the way that you guys are serving them. And to me, it sounds clear. Like the reason you started this thing wasn't because what other people were doing wasn't effective is because you had an ideal client in mind. And you're like, but this is the perfect way to do it for these guys. And again, I'm sure it's shifted a little bit over time as you've done it, but you've given so much valuable counsel and advice and wisdom really for any entrepreneur, wherever they are in their journey about like getting things done and moving things forward. So I kind of want to land the plane right here. I want to know what's the vision for Brandy Anderson. Like, where are you going? Because you've, again, you've accomplished so much in like four or five years. What are we going to see five, ten years down the road when we're Googling Brandy Anderson? Well, the, the vision is to replicate our program, 22 programs in 22 states. So we're in the process of doing an efficacy study, and we're going to copyright our program and do program implementation. So if it works so well here, maybe we can, it'll work better or work also in Florida or in South Carolina. So that's, that's the vision is to taking our program and going and implementing it in other communities that are in need. I was waiting to hear like 2 million in revenue and budget. And you just said 
22 states. It's about the impact on the person. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Such a awesome, crazy <laughs> answer. And, we'll see. And you've been able to accomplish so much, it's going to happen. There's no question. Like, you've got the vision. You've built the model. You see it. it you say it. Like, it's easy. You already looks like you know the path and the journey, and that's really cool. You know the problem with, with your goal is? Is that five years from now, she's going to be like 47 states. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's the fire and the passion. You know, I, if we wouldn't have, if we wouldn't be so impressed with you, Brandy, after the podcast, I'd be like, she made that 22 number up on the spot. But it's like, no, you're going to be at 32 states or 47 states. Like because you've already done. You've already like out-punted what you were trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish. It's a testament to you as a leader. Your, your team's like... Brandy, stop working on this because, like, we need you over here. Like, the, the big thing, like, drop the mulch. Stop mulching the... the They've literally had me tell yes. me just to drop the mulch. I it's actually been a thing. <laughs> you got, like, a little rubber band on. You pick up mulch. You have to, like, stop picking up the oh, mulch, Oh, they're trimming Brandy. the rose bushes. Yes. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, man, it's been so much fun having you, Brandy. There again, there's always this moment where I'm like, I'm over here like trying to watch the clock and like manage. Which oh, I, got, is, like, I am questions. so bad. There's by the so way, so much managing. I can learn here, and I'm like, man, there's so much more to cover. But why am I doing the clock and managing numbers, and you're the daggum accountant? <laughs> but no, it really is. We end these ep- we end these episodes, and there's always like a million questions that we want to ask the person that we're interviewing. And I mean, I think we're just gonna like cut off the mic and like let you just counsel me and Chad, like give us some like free wisdom, <laughs> the leadership wisdom for what you're doing, but you're just killing it. Like you're absolutely crushing it. Society would have said you would never amount to anything mm-hmm. and you're serving all those people that society would say the same thing about and you're helping them get on their feet. You're helping them get reunited with their kids. You're helping them, you know, get a place to live, get a car to drive, get a job, like all these phenomenal things because you just decided at some point in time, I'm going to go serve. I'm going to pour myself into doing that and how many lives have been changed as a result of you doing it. So we hope this episode blows up and gets out there and people learn how they can serve you. So if you don't mind, Brandy, just wrap us up. Like, Tell us how Athens community, Georgia community, 22-state community can serve Acceptance Recovery Center and Brandy and what she's doing. Yeah, so just continuing to give opportunity to, to share the message of hope and talk about our residents' lives as well as my life. Um, to come out and uh, participate in one of our community events. We host several community events and they're completely free. So we try to engage the community. We have recovery stories. We celebrate our residents, um, any sort of sponsors for, for food, just people wanting to come in and hear a message, uh, just showing up and supporting our residents and, and helping them feel as if they're contributing members of society changes their life so showing up at one of our events or going to our website acceptancerecoverycenter.org and there's a donate monthly tab there you can also do a one-time donation there's also a way that you can contact us to drop off any sort of in-kind donations such as pillows or blankets or or clothing hygiene items um, or cars if you have a, a car you would like to donate just check us out on the website or on social media i think we gave some vacuums didn't we did we, get some we did give some vacuums <laughs> <laughs> yeah they were okay. great we were like they were like we need a new vacuum i'm like we can't afford a vacuum did you ask facebook and then they asked facebook and next thing you know like we have a living room full of vacuum cleaners <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah it was amazing it was just and that's the kind of response we get from the community we need a microwave then we have six and so then we have a stockpile and so we were just 
just really appreciative to be in Athens and to be a part of this community. It's been amazing to feel so supported, to feel so welcomed, and so much like we have a voice and we have a position in this community. So thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Entrepreneur Adventure. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please be sure to like and subscribe to The Entrepreneur Adventure wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check us out on the web at www.theentrepreneuradventure.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. And remember, The Entrepreneur Adventure does not have to be traveled alone, but is a journey to be shared. We'll catch you next time on The Entrepreneur Adventure, where we give you the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before.